Welcome to the Long Come Norwich podcast, a scatterbrained scrutiny of Norwich City's season with scandalously scant opinions thrown in for good measure. This week we had the pleasure of Oliver Skip for company and he told us about Mourinho's cuddles, Farker's button pushing and playing in the era of empty stadiums and VAR. Enjoy! Ollie, thanks for joining us. Uh, let's start with the really obvious uh, place to kick off. You're not actually a, a Norwich player. Um, you're on loan, so we, you know, we're borrowing you for a little while. Um, naturally, you'll have had had a few of the, the lads from the England under-21s tell you what Norwich is like. W- what's been kind of a pleasant surprise or, or what's maybe not lived up to the hype that you got from, from Max? Um, no, I think in terms of the welcome that I received, it was not only the... 21s players that I knew before it was everyone um, in the team that was really welcoming made it really easy um, especially because we had what was it 10 or 10 11 however many new signings so I think it was really important um, that we created that bond really early on in the season Um, but no in terms of uh, the 21 boys they were very complimentary of Norwich um of the boss and his style of play. So it was one that I felt would really suit me um, going forward. Interestingly enough, um, Harry Kane recently came out and said that his his loan spell at Norwich was probably the toughest spell of his career. Did you speak to um, Harry before you joined us? Uh, no, I didn't actually speak to him. But... Probably best. <laughs> um, but he, as, as you probably know, he went on a number of loans and... Um, he he said to me that he felt it was great for his development, albeit some of them didn't go the way he wanted. But um, I think that when he got back to Spurs, that really helped him uh, develop in areas which he needed to and then obviously kick on to become the player that he has done. So I feel like going out of your comfort zone um, can really help you as a player. Well, I, t- I can tell you now that there there were very, very few people at the time who who uh, expected the career trajectory that Harry Kane has gone on. Uh, it, it wasn't it wasn't the most wonderful loan spell in the world. I don't um, know what happens when you're driven to succeed, doesn't it? Well, quite possibly. So, yeah, he can, he can thank us all uh, for, for uh, yeah. One one chance in particular, he missed one on one on one against West Ham, and you just thought, nah, this lad's never going to make it. Uh, but that just shows how little we know. We we also had uh, Marcus Edwards here as well, um, and and I don't think he even made a made a start. So we we don't have the best record when it comes to Spurs loanees. So I think finally we seem to have struck gold with uh, struck gold with one because you've you've played so many minutes already. So did you expect to play quite as much as you you have? Um, no, I feel like I was coming in with the attitude of trying to make a really positive impression. I mean, I, I felt it was important for me to come in as early as possible so that I did have pretty much the whole pre-season, um, the training camp in Germany uh, to really adapt to the style of play, the players that I was playing with. So, no, to play this many minutes has been great. Um I didn't come in with the expectation because I knew there was already good players at the club, players that have been brought in. So, no, I knew that there'd be a lot of competition, but I just felt like that if I worked hard, that there would be opportunities for me. You said you've been quite. You said that the, te- the, the the lads have been quite welcoming, and there's no egos in the team, which is you know what what we hear a lot that, that Stuart Weber in particular has got a no dickhead policy in in recruitment. Um, what? What's your approach as a as a loanee coming in? You know, on that on that uh, preseason tour, for example, are you looking to crunch someone early? Are you looking to try and do a few flicks and tricks, or is it like a case of keep your head down and earn the respect? What what, what was your kind of mindset going in in into introducing yourself? I think that yeah, I think you can do your talking in training um, to gain the respect of the players because I feel like almost the first few sessions is almost. You're on trial. Um, like the players are watching to see who who have they brought in. The manager, everyone's watching you to see what you bring to the club. So I feel like the first few sessions are really important because those first impressions, um, everyone remembers uh, instantly. So no, I don't think go in crunch people. I'm not sure that that'll benefit <laughs> the team. Um, and you might fall out with a few people in the process. So I just need to try and 
show your quality in those early sessions and show everyone what you're capable of doing was important. You should maybe take this into your Sunday league career, pig. (laughs) (laughs) Ollie, you you obviously had a good look at this Norwich City side last season in a FA Cup fifth round, which I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you played all 120 minutes of. Um, So what did you make of, of Norwich that night? And probably the, the bigger question is how far down the list were you for taking a penalty? <laughs> it's funny because <laughs> I've spoken to Tim about it and I actually saw my name on the infamous bottle. And I, told him <laughs> that I, was actually, I was going the other way. So <laughs> I didn't laugh about that. Um, but no. um, last season, I actually saw Norwich play four times because we played twice in the league, in the cup, and then also the game, like we played a sort of game to get us back after the COVID period. So I had a good, really good idea of what Norwich was about uh, on the style of play. I mean, especially the last two games, because I played, hundred, as you say, 120 minutes in the cup game. And then I played a bit of the uh, like friendly game before we came back after COVID. So I was really aware of all the players, the style of play. So that made the transition even easier, I think. Was there anyone who stood out particularly that you looked out of the night and thought, oh, he's a player? Um, yeah, I was up against... So Emmy, Emmy was really good. I noticed him straight away. Um, probably because I was playing a lot against him. Um, him and Todd was roaming everywhere. So those two I remember vividly from from the games. A bit more in, in terms of comparisons. We know that Spurs have got, I mean, incredible stadium from, from the first point of view, but also state-of-the-art training facility. How, how does Coney compare? Because they've put they've put a huge amount of investment in the club, um, and and it really has kicked on in terms of facilities in in the last two three two three seasons. So, how, how does that compare in terms of, in terms of a, a home away from the pitch? No, I think Coney's brilliant. I mean, it might not be as big as Tottenham, but. The facilities have everything you need um, as a player. Um, Speaking to Stuart before I came, it it was really clear how much they'd improved from a couple of seasons ago. (laughs) He showed me where the the old gym was, for example, and it's almost tripled in size, I'd say. So, no, the facilities, the food that we get provided as well, nice to a really high standard, um, matching that of Tottenham, I'd say. So not too dissimilar. Obviously, Tottenham, you've got about 20 pitches, but most of the time that's not necessary. So I'd say Norwich has everything you need as a player. So no excuses from anyone in terms of the facilities, I think. Just a question on lockdown. Um, you've obviously not, not got out as much as you would have done in a normal season. Um, but, but in terms of the uh, in terms of outside of of, of lockdown in, in the in between bits, was there any places that you you have enjoyed visiting? Um, you know, if, if you were to recommend Norwich to a, a loanee that's coming in in January, for example, for example, what 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 parts would you be suggesting people go and and, and check out? No, I'd say definitely look at the coastal areas. Um, a couple of days off, I've been there, um, especially in the summer, um, just to get a real feel of. The area, um, as you say, there's some beautiful beaches along the coastal area. There's a reason why quite a, pe- quite a few people travel to this area. So, no, I definitely recommend like the beaches and even just the town centre. There's there's enough to do without being super crowded. Um, so, no, it's a nice sort of area. Is there any, has there been any bits of Norwich and Norfolk that, you kind of haven't enjoyed so much because I think of Norfolk as being beautiful and stuff, but there are elements of it where you think, well, it's bloody miles from anywhere. It takes bloody yeah. ages to get back to London or it takes, I don't know, six hours to get across the city in rush hour traffic. Is there anything where you're like, oh, if if that was different, this would be a lot better? Um, I think just, uh, as you say, there's no major cities nearby. Um, once you've seen all of Norwich, there's not necessarily many other places nearby, which with London and other places, there's much more nearby, I'd say. But 
other than that, I don't see too many bad things with Norwich. Well, you're welcome to stay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> So, Ollie, clearly, um, you know, you've come from from one world class manager to another. You know, from Jose Mourinho to um, to Daniel Farker. Really interested in, in Jose. He's got quite the reputation. How much is his private persona like the the larger than life um, character that we perhaps see and we've all seen on the the recent All or Nothing TV series? I'd say it's very similar to what you've seen. Um, I think what makes him so good is. He knows exactly what each player needs to get the best out of them. Um, for example, say a player needs like a cuddle, for example, he'll give that. But if a person, if a player needs um, needs a like pushing a button to get a reaction, he'll do that as well. So he's very smart with how he manages players to try and get the best performance out of them. And, and do you do you need a cuddle or do you, or do you need your buttons pushing? I think probably buttons pushing for me works the best, but I like a cuddle now and again. Who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's the title of the pod. Um, <laughs> so let, let's 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 talk about how how it compares then. So yeah, as 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 John was saying, you, mm. you've gone from from one great manager to to another one. Um, the uh, what kind of comparisons are there? Are, do they have a very different style? Um, I mean, obviously, we know that the the, the training is really, really intense up here. Mm. Um, but what what elements do you think are um, kind of set them set them apart that is really noticeable since you moved? I think the style of play is slightly different. Um, under Mourinho, perhaps we don't press as high up as at Norwich. Um, at Norwich, the boss wants us to be always on the front foot, always dominating games, having the majority of possession like you've seen, I think, in pretty much every game so far. We've had more of the ball than the opposition, whereas Mourinho wouldn't be so bothered about the possession statistics. Um, he's happy occasionally to for other teams to dominate the ball, but for us to be defensively solid. So slight differences in that area, but both coaches, I'd say, very detailed in what they want, um, which is good as a player because then there's no excuses. You know exactly what you've been asked to do and then it's just up to you to deliver that on the pitch. You mentioned earlier on that when you have your first training session, you're really aware that all the eyes are on you and kind of all the players are watching that first touch to see what you're bringing. Are you doing the same thing with, with a manager and his coaching staff? Are you looking around and thinking, right, well, this guy doesn't take any shit and this is the guy that I really need to impress because he's got the manager's ear type thing? Um, I think you're well aware of you need to quickly adapt to what the new manager wants. Um, for example, I've always noticed that um, the boss at Norwich will really focus on Say the watching the warm up, making sure that that sprints a hundred percent. So that was something that you have to be aware of, especially as a new player. That everything matters. Uh, he's very detailed in in what he wants. So now I just think as a player, you have to be smart and understand what uh, the new manager is looking for. How tricky is that though? Because we we we've, we've been hearing yeah. a little bit about Southgate. Um, you know, with playing three at the back and Trippier came out saying, no, we work on it and it's fine. So, you know, you obviously then going off, to, you've gone from Mourinho then to Farkas style. And then obviously when you go up with the England under-21s and, you know, did fantastically well last night, um, got an assist um, and, and, and you know, got more plaudits for, for that performance. What, how difficult is it for you to go, oh, okay, so now I'm playing for this guy. So I need to be on, you know, not as front foot or, or whatever. How, how, how difficult is it to, to switch mindset like that? I think it can be difficult, but I'd say England and Norwich have a very similar style, uh, dominate the ball in both games, uh, in both teams, sorry. So I don't think there's too much difference between that. And I feel like as a player, you've grown up and seen a lot of different styles through the academy, so you're very aware of what what managers want and 
I think that as players, you have to be as tactically aware as possible to fulfil whatever the manager wants. So, and especially with uh, the Norwich boss, we'll have a meeting before the game, so it's very clear for each individual team that we're playing how we're going to press them, for example, how how they're going to set up to try and beat us and what we can do to sort of counteract that. So that really adds to the clarity of of um, the instructions that the manager sets out. And, and what has he asked of you? You know, because clearly they've brought you here for a reason. I think personally, I can see that there's been a slight tactical shift in terms of the way we play and, and you're a big part of that. But is there anything specific that, that Daniel's tried to drill into you? I think... After the first game was Huddersfield, um, there was a couple of things that we watched clips back and I think that this was something like my positional aware- awareness out of possession, maybe not getting so attractive towards the ball at times um, and covering that middle of the pitch was something that he was massive on um, and something that I felt in the games after that first game was something that I was really conscious of and making sure that I got that right. So just out of possession, making sure that that middle of the pitch where where the goals come is really covered, I think. And then in possession, just about the variety of ways to build up, um, which you see in our game. So, no. It's interesting, you mentioned the, the build-up of play there. Um, depending on, we're obviously very familiar with, with the lads that, have, that were with us in the 18-19 push and, and we can we know when a certain uh, substitution is going to be made or with with, a, with an 11 that's going to be picked. Oh, okay, well, he, he likes build-up play. In it. We know the type of balls that Mario likes to, to pull through. We know what, what Kenny's going to give us. Um, when you, uh, like, we've obviously got quite a big, big squad at the moment probably the, the biggest one we've ever, ever had in terms of the number of players who genuinely could could stake a claim to be a first team first team player um what how much do you notice when someone's coming on from a, from from a substitution point of view how much are you conscious oh okay now mario's here my job slightly changes or, or now kenny's coming on i know i'm gonna have to do more of this or, or what have you yeah definitely i think you have to be aware of what each individual player brings um for example, Mario, as opposed to Lucas, Mario might push forward more. He's more likely to get higher up, so you have to be a bit more aware of that, whereas Lucas maybe will be with you in the middle of the pitch more. So, no, I think you have, do have to adapt your game depending on the player. Um, the player that comes on, as you said, or starts the game, for example. So just adapting to that. Um, as quickly as possible can really help you in the game. You might need to adapt more regularly because they've just confirmed that there's going to be five substitutions available. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, so you might you might have. Well, it's a good job because in centre midfield we've got we've got so many of you lot. Yeah. <laughs> it might actually yeah. give everyone a chance. I mean, what on that? What's it like? You know, playing alongside on the training pitch, mostly the greatest defensive midfielder of all time in Alex Tetti. What have you learned from him? I've learned a lot. Um, off the pitch, firstly, he's a great character to have around the changing room. You can see the experience, Premier League experience that he has, that he's passing it around, especially to the younger lads. I've really noticed that. For example, Bali or myself, he's always constantly talking to us to ensure that we, we're playing to our full potential and getting the most out of each session, each game, for example. So... Off the pitch, is a massive figure around around the dressing room. And then on the pitch, uh, just to see that his drive still still to train every day, um, it's just really good to see as a younger player and pushes you on uh, to as try can, and I, match him. As you can imagine, uh, he's, he's quite well loved around these parts, yeah. to say the least. He, he's statue worthy. So, um, yeah, look, quite- look up. Unloved in a few parts, I would say. Really, it's quite uh, yeah. a, a bit of He's a like marmite. A bit like marmite. I think, I think, I think that's gone. I think that has gone down uh, a lot more than it used to be. He he used to be proper marmite. Like for his first two or three seasons, he was very much, very much a, a kind of fifty-fifty. And he did take it did take a while to 
to kind of win some people over just because of the period of time he played with Norwich. Um, you know, he because of the length of time he's been here, by the very nature, he's played with some good teams and he's played with some not so good teams. You know, we, we as as I've said before, you know, we are we're either getting promoted or relegated normally. So so he's kind of had the the best of both worlds. I think there's um, that there's, element as well with Teddy in that if Teddy has an excellent game, you you don't really notice him. Exactly. That's why I feel like um, perhaps as like he's a holding midfielder. The games where you go unnoticed, he's done his job perfectly. Um, he has to put in like a 10 out of 10 performance mm-hmm. for everyone to notice him. Yeah, absolutely. Well, just one final thing on on teammates, which which I think you'll, you'll really help uh, kind of the, particularly the amateur uh, content producers of this region. Yeah. What do you guys call Pojeta? Uh What is his nickname? Is it pronounceable? What do you guys call him? And can we call yeah. him that, please? Because it's not half difficult. Shemi. Shemi. Yeah. Okay. There's been a few nicknames flying around. Uh, <laughs> we have the Spanish, like, Javi and Emmy have come up with some interesting nicknames, but... Uh, the one that is stuck is Shemi, I think. Okay, that yeah. that is a lot easier to say. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, decent. Take okay. On the pitch when you're trying to get information across. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. By the time you've got through his full name, like the, no, you, you've lost that, position. Yeah. <laughs> Just a couple of things on on this season. So you, you mentioned the pre-season camp when we were chatting earlier. Um, what what kind of goals were set with with the team at the start of of pre season, and you know have have they been kind of revised up after this really good run, or or is it has it been the same goal since since, since kick off? I think first of all, uh, for everyone, it was a difficult season last season, so I think it was really important to create that confidence. Um, albeit in the first few games, we may not have got the points that we wanted. We felt within the camp that. Uh, we perhaps deserved more points than what we'd got. So that did give us confidence uh, for the remain, remaining games. And like you see with the current run we're on, we feel like going into each game that the confidence is growing slowly but, but surely and really looking to kick on after this international break. Um, no, I just feel like the championship's so hard to predict that just making sure that we we don't look too far ahead. I know it's a cliche, but I feel like it is really important with the amount of games to just concentrate on that next game and uh, not looking too far ahead because you know in this league a couple of wins and you're suddenly up five, six places, but then on the other hand, a couple of defeats and you're suddenly dropped to 10th, for example. So not looking too far ahead, just... Keep trying to keep that unbeaten run going, I think. You mentioned the number of games. Obviously, it's, the championship is relentless anyway, and COVID has made that slightly harder. But how difficult has it been in terms of every Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, and then to go away on international duty as well? Yeah. How hard is that on the back of no real pre-season? Yeah, it is hard. Um, I think you can see across every league the amount of injuries um, is really taking its toll on every every player. But I feel like at Norwich, we've got the squad that's capable of of getting through these periods because we've got strength and depth all over the pitch. So uh, these back-to-back games uh, are good for the squad because we perhaps have more depth than other teams so we can really utilise our depth over the coming weeks to keep everyone fresh I think and like you said it has been difficult uh, especially for me because last season I didn't play as many minutes and now he's gone from one extreme to the other but something I'm really enjoying it anytime you're out on the pitch uh, full enjoyment and you you mentioned that we've got well a couple of games coming up soon against um two really organised teams, I think, you know, in, in Middlesbrough and Stoke. But which team do you think that you've we've played so far has set up most effectively against Norwich this season? Ooh, good question. Um, I think I'd answer with the one that's set up worse, just in case any opposition managers listen and be like... Exactly. That's, that's <laughs> Mate, no one's listening to this. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say... Warnock loves this. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Hi, Colin. Um, Rotherham were good. Um, they set out well against us, I think. Mm. They perhaps su- surprised us a bit because they went um, really high pressure, especially in that first half. Um, and I felt like we could have dealt with it better. So I feel like I'd say them, um, especially that first half, they're really physical, man-to-man pressure, really high up the pitch. Mm. Um, I think in that game, as the game developed, we used Jordan more. But at the start, I felt like they really set up well against us. And that's the thing. I think like this season, we've probably struggled in, in games where, as you say, teams have pressed us high. Is that something that, that we're currently working on on the training pitch? Is it, you know, is it something that you feel like we're equipped to deal with a bit better? Definitely. I think um, as the season progresses, as the confidence grows, it will really help us to build our attacks from the back. We'll have different solutions for, for teams um, when they do press us by up the pitch. So I feel like as the season goes on, everyone becomes more in tune with, right, so the, the, the wingers are pressing, this is what we need to do. The strike, the two strikers are pressing our two centre backs, right? So this is what we need to do. So I feel like as the season goes on, you become more comfortable with your patterns of play when building up from the back. Let's just think about the season as a whole so far. So you know, I think it's fair to say um, you've been really, really highly rated, and naturally um, the, the the manager thinks so because you played so, so many minutes, and and he's made a lot of changes. More, we we were talking last podcast about maybe he's changed it certainly earlier in games than he has previously. So, um, so clear, clearly he's not afraid of change, and and, and he's kept you in for, for most of the most of the games. So, um, it, obviously that that side of things going well. What what about uh, asking the question of how far you think you can go? I mean, what what more is there for for fans to get excited about for you from Norwich? Is there a side of your game that you think you, you're yet to show us as, as fans? Is there something that you think you can, as you develop further into the season, you're going to contribute more? Um, I think there's definitely more to come from me. Um, I feel like these first 10 games, I can definitely improve on my performances. Uh, I feel like perhaps at times when there's space, I can really drive into those spaces. I think the last game against Swansea, I think it's easier to do against teams that come out as well. Um, Where there is space, you can carry the ball. I feel like I haven't shown that as much as I, I can do. Maybe more forward driving runs with the ball. So now that's something hopefully you can look forward to. Well, two things on that. On, on the last game, um, the Swansea game, the, the co-commentator was was uh, a former former player and former coach um, uh, who was doing it alongside the BBC coverage, yeah. and um, and and he actually said because it was not surprising that it was the first time he'd seen you in person because um, obviously because of lockdown, um, and uh, it was the first game he'd covered this season, and 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 he said actually having seen you in particular in the flesh. He, he actually commented on how well you were covering ground and, and how well you played without possession. So so clearly, as you said, that's something that you think that you've improved on already. But from my own personal opinion, that, that was 100% what I was expecting and hoping you were going to answer that question. Because yeah. I, I think you can count on one hand the number of times you've kind of, str- you've kind of strode forward with the ball. And it's almost like... Um, someone's kind of unclipped a backpack that's got a load of like rocks in it yeah. and all of a sudden you're like oh I'm allowed to move forward and you you look so comfy on the ball like really really happily kind of strolling forward so to me I've just assumed that that's a tactical thing that Daniel has said no 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 you're sitting you know Lucas is here there and everywhere like a busy little fucking bumblebee we want you to be sensible and stay where you are mm-hmm. and likewise as you say Mario goes gallivanting forward um and likewise you know Kenny's batshit all over the place so I, I it seems to me like you're you're supposed to be the anchor but yeah. I def I definitely would like love to see more of that because you you seem so accomplished on the ball. Definitely, I think. Of course, there's times where you need to sit, um, but when there is that space, I feel like I can be more adventurous and take that. So no, it's something hopefully you'll see in the coming games, especially when teams try and play against us a bit more. It's much easier rather than if you do it against a low block, then you're just running straight into people. <laughs> <laughs> who do you think is going to take the set pieces when Xavi and, uh, and Emmy are both on the pitch do you think it will go back to Xavi again because yeah I think it will um, 
I think it's a good option because depending on whether you want an in-swinger or an out-swinger, obviously Xavi's left-footed, Emi right-footed, so it's a good option to have both. So depending on whether we feel like an in-swinger or an out-swinger, it could really determine who takes them, I think. Is there anyone else that you think Emmy would stand aside for on a direct free kick other than Mario? Because he's done it for Mario a couple of yeah, times. Because no, obviously, there's the respect doing it for anyone else. <laughs> um, poor, no, I wouldn't say. I think he'd back himself to to score. How much are kind of set pieces pre-planned in terms of, as you say, whether or not you want an inswing or an outswing? Or you before you go out there, do you know that you know the first two or three that you get on the left hand side, you want to be in swingers, or is it very much? a case of whoever wants to take it and however you kind of feel in the moment? No, um, we have a meeting before the game, set pieces for, set pieces against, so everyone's really clear um, who's taking them, what sort of areas we're looking to exploit, and then uh, same for defending, what areas they look to exploit. So there's a lot of detail that goes into set pieces because everyone knows how important that set pieces are so it makes sense to do to do that work on it and talking about the season so far um you know clearly there's no fans in the stadiums at the at the moment and that's something that we're all just having to adjust to how have you found it playing in empty stadiums is because it all feels a bit alien now i think nothing beats having uh, a packed home stadium uh, i do think that the players have slowly adjusted to it but i still feel like the intensity to, can go to another level with the crowd coming back in and you re, you'll really notice that difference. But I think for players, it's something that we all want fans back, yes, but we, we have a job to do um, regardless of whether they're there. Do you think actually some some players might struggle to adapt back again? Do you think there's some maybe more timid players who, who aren't actually used to thriving off the off the atmosphere that actually they might find when it comes to you know February March April hopefully maybe we might get a few few games towards the end of the season that actually they might go gosh shit this is hard work loads of people shouting at me maybe um I think different players definitely do thrive in different atmospheres um but I'd like to think that most players would would thrive off off a crowd especially one that You'd hope that supporting you at home. Um, can't think of many players that wouldn't want a crowd there, but you might be right. At Spurs, Ollie, did you have a chant, or did the fans have a chant about you? And if so, what was it? And if not, when we get fans back at Carrow, what tune should we be looking to sing about Ollie Skip? As far as I don't think they really... They have the standard, he's one of our own, that they sing to everyone that's come through the academy. But other than that, I wouldn't say I had a, had a song. Um, and so what, what was your initiation song? Maybe we could um, piggyback on that. Which song did you have to sing in front of the boys? Um, what did I sing? Oh, it was so standard. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> everyone, they must, no, every club, everyone must get so bored of that. But I felt like I could do it in a very monotone way. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I guess if you um, cut out that forward running plan, then you can just be Farker's Wonderwall. Exactly. Nice. <laughs> there you go, have done it. You've done it, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> As we know, all the best uh, chants work by planning them out in a podcast. Months ahead of time. The one thing that is unfortunately still here from the end of last season is VAR. Mm. Um, what 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 is it like as as a player? Um, we were talking before before I remembered to press record um, about the the Scotland shootout and um, and and David Marshall making an amazing save, one of the highlights of his career, um, and then having to stop and pause and turn and check that he was able to go and celebrate, which is just, you know, it's, it's awful. What, what, what's that like as a player? Before you answer, Ollie, remember you can swear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, um, on VAR, I feel like it does take the emotion out of the game, but it definitely can. It does most of the time get the right result for like offsides, well, 
even some of them, you look at the Patrick Bamford one the other day, how they've given offside for that, I'll never know. But I feel like the, the emotion uh, attached with VAR, when VAR uh, gives that decision is you're always constantly wondering whether it's going to be given and just the length of time that it takes. There's instances, I remember, what was it, Pookie's one against Spurs last year where he... Big yeah. offside or something. It took about. It was a worldie. Minutes. Oh yeah, they would, it would have been the go- it would have been our goal of the season as well. Like yeah. it was, it was, and it, and it properly would it was it, that would have been really really and big again, in, in the game. Been, the way the game was going. There has been occasions where it saved us. You look at the Champions League. This was at Spurs, the quarter final when Sterling was offside. So I can't yeah, yeah. move it in that those instances. <laughs> you agree with it when it goes for you exactly <laughs> like everything when yeah, it's, it goes think... for you you love it but when it goes against you you hate it <laughs> but don't you think don't you think that, that it would be it only, and this is what I've always said about it because I, I really wanted it to be brought in yeah Um. I, I think that fundamentally it needs to be in football but fundamentally it needs to be it's the implementation of it that's so wrong yeah. like you say it shouldn't be taking two minutes. If it's not clear and obvious yeah. within one look, then, you know, if it's a big toe, like you say, or, you know, an, an eyelash, then it's not offside. You know, you get, you, know, you and that, that way that the cheering doesn't get to die down for more than a few seconds and, like, and, and it like still 10, feels... 15 seconds max. If you can yeah, that's fair. clearly offside or it's clearly a foul, then you move on, you make the decision. But if you have to keep, Putting the straight lines, and you don't know where the straight line comes from. The shirt comes from the shoulder. Now, who knows? It seems like it changes every week as well. The rules. I saw a thing today on Twitter that was, I think it was seventeen years or something around that since Thierry Henry did that handball against Ireland. Ireland yeah, which is one of those examples where you think, yeah, VAR would have ruled that out. But and that was infuriating. Um, even as someone who like I wanted Ireland to win because it was a home nations, but I didn't really care. And it was still infuriating at the time. But for me, that's the joy of football. Like 17 years later, you can still be mm. reminded it's of that moment. Against Germany as well. That one, yeah. it went against us, but you still talk about what if that, yeah. that happened, that had gone over the line. Yeah, my mate, chap, uh, we were around my friend Paul's new house. He'd just got a brand new TV. And my mate chap reacted to that goal being disallowed by chucking a full packet of chewing gum at the TV, and it the whole thing shook. And there was a moment of just pure fear in both of their eyes that would have been taken away by VAR. Oh, what a lackluster thing to break a TV with! Yeah, I was thinking you were going to say no. The TV didn't break; it just shook. But, but it was just that. That's a terrible really... story. Sorry, cool story, bro. <laughs> Edit that um, out. So yeah, <laughs> so speak, that's what we think. <laughs> speaking of um, speaking, of, we've got yeah, we've got fuck VAR t-shirts. If you want one, Skippy. Um, speaking of um, Kenny and his Scottish mates qualifying, did, did did you watch the game? Did you did you did you enjoy that? Um, I didn't watch the game, but I watched the uh, the penalty shootout. So <laughs> just turned on right at the end once I saw it going to penalties. Uh, do you yeah. think? Do you think he's so? Has he sobered up yet? Have you seen him? Oh, you I haven't him? seen him, but seeing how they celebrated, <laughs> did you see like the videos going around? <laughs> oh, well, yeah. in his pants as well. Yeah, yeah. he, he seemed to, to be naked. In, he seemed to be naked in almost every picture. <laughs> uh, they know how to celebrate. I think. Yeah, Kenny yeah, certainly does. It, Absolutely. I think that uh, says a bit about what you were googling, John. Yeah, what <laughs> Kenny and his pants. He just has it on a repetitive search. <laughs> Kenny and his pants. Um, so, so what? Okay, so uh, you're obviously in the, you know, you're, you're on the right path in terms of an England career. What, what kind of, what kind of goals have you set yourself? You know, obviously we'd expect you to say England full cap, of course. But mm. any particular club or league you'd love to to one day play in, or, or you know, what, what, what have you kind of set set your set your sights on? I feel like especially at this stage, just to get as many games under my belt um, as quickly as possible, whether it be the Championship, Premiership, I feel like that's a great experience at 20 years of age. Um, and I feel like in the future, just to continue to rack up those games, I feel like you can only really say 
Now, you can say you've had a good career when you reach the hundreds, 200 appearances in Championship or Premier League. So I feel like just to continue on that path. And how much pressure do you feel? So when you first joined the club, we saw comments that um, Jose had, had kind of labelled you a future captain of Spurs. How much pressure does does that bring? Because the last lad that came to us from Tottenham, Marcus Edwards, was was dubbed the the next Lionel Messi by um by Pochettino. So these things can often kind of have some kind of um curse. But you seem to be adapting quite well to it. I think obviously the comments were lovely, but I feel like I still had so much to prove um, coming to Norwich. So wasn't my feeling that it, everything was going to be super easy. Uh, I'll be Spurs captain one day. I feel like it's nice since the manager saying that, but I need to show on the pitch rather than it just being words. Uh, I feel like ev- anyone can say anything, so you have to go and show uh, people on the pitch and then let them make up their own minds about you and do you have much contact with Spurs you know your parent club do they check in with you much quite a bit actually they've got a a coach that specifically deals with loan players he's on the phone after most games um, watching watches most of the games so there's him and then there's a lot of the academy coaches like Ryan Mason rang me the other day um, a few Bradley Allen, um, even uh, Jose texted me uh, about a month ago. So now it's nice to know that everyone at Spurs is keeping in touch. But I know that with this season, it's more important about what I do at Norwich, and then let's see what happens at the end of the season. What do you think is going to happen at the end of the season? Are we going to win the league? (laughs) I feel like you can't say that for sure, but I feel like if we continue playing the way that we do and keep looking, keep pushing up the table, that we'll have as good a chance as anyone. But I feel like, say we're going to win the league, (laughs) who knows? You can never quite tell with the championship. I just say... As you see, no, no, no team, what was it? Like I saw some stat the other day that no team that got relegated has gone up in the automatics for like 10 years or something. So mm. so it's not as easy as everyone might imagine. You think that the three teams that got relegated would automatically be favourites. But that turns out, that's turned out to not necessarily be the case. I feel like we just need to keep pushing and then see where that takes us. How much of the of the standard of the championship, the quality of the players, how much has that surprised you or was it pretty much as you expected? I think it was pretty much as what I expected. Uh, a lot of the teams will set up in a certain way, but then there's, there's such a variety of um, tactics in the championships, I found. One week you'll be playing a Birmingham who... No disrespect to them, but they had 11 men behind the ball for pretty much the whole game. And then the week after, you'll be playing a Swansea that come and believe in their own style and will try and press your eye up the pitch. So I think in the championship, it's really exciting because on any given day, anyone can beat anyone. And you get such a range of styles and approaches from various teams. Uh, So no, that's been a really interesting challenge. Who do you think is the best best player you've played against at championship level? So you've had 11 games. Is, yeah. Has there been anyone who, who, a bit like Emmy did and, and Todd yeah. did in that FA Cup game last season, anyone that you've gone, you feel maybe gave you the runaround or you had to work hard to yeah. keep up with? Best player, I think, was that Dan Juma at Bournemouth. Right, OK, yeah. Um, he scored against us as well. I feel like he was the best player. He sort of had almost a free roll in that game. Um, he was really difficult to pick up. One v one, very good. So now I was really impressed by him. Are there any that you play against? And you just think, how the fuck are you a footballer? 
Uh, <laughs> that you can see that they definitely have their um, their individual like one attribute that really stands out and not a lot else. But most people in the championship have had a good career and can definitely play football. <laughs> <laughs> what you might say <laughs> thanks ever so much for your time Ollie. really appreciate that is there a message that you you have got for the fans like it's it's absolutely killing us that we can't be there like it, it, it is really really hurting a lot of people that it is such a massive part of their life being at Carroll Road with their family with their friends with their mates what, what is there a message that the, the players have got in terms of actually still feeling that support uh, all I can say is um Keep supporting us from afar. We can really feel feel that energy when we step out onto the pitch and we're fully aware of how difficult a time it is. But we'll do everything in our power to ensure that on match days that you get that bit of happiness, albeit not the full happiness from being in the stadium. But as players, we really are aware of what you're going through. So no, thanks for your support this season from afar. It's time for something a little bit different. We don't do a lot of advertising on this podcast, despite being inundated with offers left, right and centre to hawk the local Norwich economy's wares. Um, but this particular wear is a bit different. Uh, Lorne, why don't you tell the wonderful people at home in the car or on the bus with the mask on what they can buy and what they should be buying for Christmas? So finally, my book on the history of football chanting, which is called We Lose Every Week, is out and available to buy and people are actually buying it and sending me pictures of little bits in it that they really like and it's really cool so yeah that go and buy that for anyone that you know who has even a passing interest in football or social history or anything go and buy it right now actually I say that um, I've had a couple of bits of feedback from people who I know who've bought it who aren't football fans and um, the pleasing thing about it is both of them have said it's not really about football is it it's more about people and the fact that people who aren't football fans are enjoying it I think is almost cooler than if football fans enjoy it because I know you two boys have said oh yeah it's really good but you would say that because you're nice people and you're football fans but yeah, but I, I don't think I don't think I would I say that unless I genuinely three. thought it was really really good you know and I'm I'm not blowing smoke up your ass I've you know I've given you a five star review on Amazon Lorne and I stick by that it is um it's excellent social commentary of football chanting so well played sir Thank yeah you. I think that I think the really the, the biggest takeaway that I that I would um, go with is that it's the it's the things you will learn that you wouldn't otherwise know because it isn't based on results or who was top of the league or almost any other kind of football history. I mean, even the kind of possession stuff um, kind of follows who was successful. There's some really good books on you know, the history of 4-4-2 and uh, inverting the pyramid and, and things like that where uh, it naturally follows the most successful teams for the very nature of the fact that this formation started to take shape because this team did well with it or this country started to bring it in. And of course, that's really interesting. But the whole point about the football chant is so much of it is based upon kind of um, gallows humour and um, kind of self-deprecating humour. And I learned an absolute ton about um, football teams that you know aren't Norwich um, because we haven't played them for a while uh, or we've never played them and that they haven't necessarily been winning leagues and titles and, and from other countries as well. It was, it's an absolutely superb read and I, I heartily recommend it. Um, I particularly think that the proofreading is good. In the it. proofreading um, is yeah, that's really, really, good. really good. Really good. Yeah, Excellent I mean, I think... Proofreading all around. In fact, yeah, actually, no, it... nobody has yet um, spotted a typo. So the proofreading is excellent because my writing is not typo-free. No. Remember there was there remember there was a typo on the the first draft of the cover which uh, which we, <laughs> yeah, which we did. <laughs> but they've all been spotted I think so if anyone finds a typo please yeah. do send it to me because I haven't seen one yet. The other thing that I re- I've really liked about this that I think is true of football chanting and not really true of other football topics is every person you speak to football fan or not has a story about a chant that they've heard or a chant that one of their friends has heard and it's just really nice to hear all these different stories, especially at the moment, given that it's a thing that people are really missing and really sort of coming to appreciate how special that feeling of being in a crowd and singing is. Um, actually, the, the best chant I've heard of since sort of talking about the book to people was an Ipswich fan called Emma Corlett, who is a town councillor, and her chant concerned a Norwich Ipswich game, and it was at Carroll Road a few years ago, 
and Norwich bought on a season ticket holder to celebrate his 100th birthday. And they bought him on at half-time and kind of paraded him in front of the fans. And Emma tells me the Ipswich fans en masse start to sing, Does your mother know you're here? Which is brilliant. And where can we buy it? We can buy it from all the places that you would normally get books from. So it's on Amazon, it's on Waterstones. I would recommend getting it directly from the publisher, which is Ockley, which is O-C-K-L-E-Y, simply because if you get it from Amazon, then Ockley have to send it to Amazon and Amazon will send it to you. If you get it directly from Ockley, they can send it straight to you. And I know that they go to the post office every day uh, sending them out. So if you ordered it today, you would get it tomorrow or the next day. So we heartily recommend that from ACN. Uh, there's also some reading that you could do in the shape of the Norwich City fanzine. And for that, I would introduce you to Mr. Jonathan Punt, who will tell you all about where you can get hold of that. Yeah, well, you can definitely get hold of that on alongcomenorwich.com. I think, as we said on the last pod, um, for people who missed it, there's 16 brilliant original pieces of writing, um, three of them actually by us. So maybe 13 brilliant pieces of original writing and then our three as well. Um and some wonderful art as well. It's stuff that you're probably never going to see online and you definitely can't get it online at the moment. But it's celebrating all things Norwich City. It's kind of reminiscing on old times. It's talking about maybe the difficult times now and, and marking a moment in time with COVID and, and empty stadiums and, and all the rest of it. And hopefully it's something that we think you'll be able to pick up in a few years time and, and still enjoy. So, yeah, we'd recommend you get it. Absolutely. I picked it up today. Um, I hadn't seen any of the articles other than the one that I'd written because, John, you put it all together. And I picked up my copy today because I had five minutes spare before I needed to do something. And I thought I'd just read one article. And half an hour later, I realised that half an hour had gone and I was halfway through it. So it is absolutely you pick it up and you think, oh, I'll just read one more. I'll just read one more. And they're brilliant. And you say I put it all together, but I don't think I can take credit. So I I think I'd really like to thank um, Theon Thomas, uh, Stephen Lister and Ben Stokes, because it definitely wouldn't have happened with any of those three guys. Right. Go and get the fanzine. Go and get Lorne's book. Have yourself a merry little next few days. And we'll be back next week with some more of this wittering nonsense. Thanks for your time, Lorne. Thanks to Ollie Skip for being involved earlier. Lovely to speak to you, punt, as always. And you at home, wherever you are, my day you go.